The following audio is from Harvest Fellowship. For more information about Harvest Fellowship, visit harvestabq.org. Good morning, church. Again, good morning again. Hey, uh, I, I know Pastor Jace just uh, talked about men's conference. Uh, men, let me tug on you as well uh, to prioritize this. It is a life-changing weekend, and I want to let you know that we do this every year because this is how important it is for us that uh, if the obstacle for you going is finances, we already have men who have stepped up and provided scholarships for other men uh, to go. And so we wanted to make this really, really easy for you. Uh, If you uh, are in need of a scholarship and you want to go to men's conference, uh, if you will text the words men's conference to this number, 505-340-8321, just text men's conference and then we'll we'll get with you. We'll provide a scholarship. We want you to be there. Don't let that be the reason that you miss out on a life-changing weekend. And so I want you uh, to have that option available. So text us. We'll help you. We'll take care of that. I need to warn you that before we get into today's message, I have quite a few other things that, uh, that I need to talk with you about. Is that okay? Can you, can you hang with me? All right. Um, so it's all good news. It's really exciting. So first of all, I want to tell you about two new staff members that are joining our harvest team uh, here in 2024. If you're at the dream team party, you already know about this, but we wanted to make sure everybody knew about this. I'm really excited that the Lord is expanding our team going into this year because I have a sense, I I hope you do as well, that we're in for a wild ride in 2024. And uh, I'm glad to have some uh, additional team members to help to carry uh, the load. So the first one I want to tell you about is Amber Okotete. She is sitting right back there, and this is her picture, so you know what she looks like. Amber and Manny uh, have been serving, uh, they've been leading our young adult group, and uh, they've just been doing a killer job uh, of that. And we asked her if she would consider coming on staff to just kind of ramp up young adults. I feel like this year, that in fact, we're launching uh, a monthly young adult service. So they've been doing a small group, they're going to keep doing that, but they're also launching a young adult service on the last Wednesday of every month. That'll start this month here in January. And so we wanted them to be able to have a little more attention, energy, uh, time to be able to give to young adults. The other thing is that uh, Amber, this would be good news for anyone who is leading life groups. Amber is also going to help us steward our vision for life groups. Life groups are our are language for small groups. And so she's going to be overseeing that. And I just know our life groups are already doing really, really well. We have great leaders. We have a lot of good things going on. But I know with some attention that they're just going to continue to flourish, and I know it's just going to be fantastic this year, and so we're really excited to welcome Amber to our team, and we wanted you to know about that. The second hire that I want to tell you about, she's related to Amber. She's actually her sister. Her name is Brittany Russell, and uh, we have her picture. She's not here today. I'm glad you clapped. She'll probably listen in, and she would have been offended if you didn't. Um, so this is kind of cool. Uh, when uh, their parents, Tom and Kendra, when they came to Harvest, Amber was four years old and Brittany was two years old. These girls grew up in this church. They both, when they graduated, went off to college. And then the Lord called both of them back in different ways at different times. Brittany went to Atlanta School of Ministry. And right out of Atlanta School of Ministry, we tried to hire her, but she said no to us. And she went to Arkansas. And she kept using this card. She's like, Pastor, as soon as God calls me here, then I'll come. And so we were just praying for years. We're like, Lord, just call Brittany. We want her to come. And and late in 23, she called and sensed that the Lord was calling her home. She actually moved home with no uh, job offer, with nothing. She just took a step of faith, said, I'm supposed to be home. She came home. We we talked with her and we ended up hiring her. And I'm going to tell you what she's going to be doing. And parents, uh, you're going to want to pay attention to this one. So Brittany is going to be stepping in as our new kids pastor. Now, you might be wondering what's happening with Madison. You just saw Pastor Madison a few minutes ago, and I'm really happy to tell you Pastor Madison's not going anywhere. That's really, really good news. Um, So uh, Madison and Andrew are are also our youth pastors, so we wanted Madison to have a little more time for youth. And then what we're also doing is we found that one of Madison's kind of sweet spots is 
outreach and missions. And so she's going to be doing youth, outreach, and missions. Brittany is going to be doing kids. And we're really, really excited about this. We just feel really good about it. And parents, I want you to know uh, that we have scheduled a parent meet and greet with Brittany after church on January the 28th. So here in a couple of weeks, we'd love for you right after church to hang out for a few minutes, get to know her. She gets to meet you. Um, we're going to take our time with the transition. I, 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 I'm expecting that we probably won't be fully, she won't, probably won't be fully in charge of kids until maybe March. Um, and that's one big uh, uh, value of this transition where Madison's still here and we're not in a big rush. And so I'm really excited about uh, those staff changes. I wanted you to know about it. And if you have questions, come talk to us. Uh, the other thing I want to talk to you about is I want to give you an update on something we call All In. So if you don't know what All In is, we've been uh, in this campaign to uh, update our facilities so that we can do the ministry God's called us to do at a higher level. And we just call that All In. And uh, this year we've done, a, or last year, we did a lot of projects. We updated the youth room, and then we did the kids' bathrooms, and then we did the main bathrooms, and we did the main hallway. And the project we're working on right now is uh, our offices, if you don't know, are right over here, and they're really, really small. We don't even all fit. Uh, even without Amber and Brittany, we, we didn't fit. Now we especially don't fit. And so we had some space up here that's kind of behind that wall and behind that wall, and it was, wasn't being utilized very well. So we went up there, we demoed everything, and we're rebuilding that, and that's going to be our new office complex, which we're expecting that we'll be in that by March. That's what we're hoping. March or April. This week, we got our plumbing inspection. We got our electrical inspection. We are scheduled to have our framing inspection on Tuesday. We're so confident that we're going to pass that we've already ordered the drywall. It's on its way. That's how confident we are. So by next week, we should have insulation in the walls and drywall going up. And uh, we're, our team is so excited to, for the new offices. And here's what I'm really excited about when we move upstairs is that we're going to demo all of this area over here where the office offices are and some of this stuff um, kind of behind this closet that we have over here. And, and we're going to create a big lobby on that side because I don't know if you've noticed, but it's getting increasingly busier on your way in on Sundays, especially around things like the coffee, right? And so in the lobby, we're actually creating a coffee shop area. It's, I'm just really, really thrilled about all of that. So I wanted you to know uh, about all of that. And, and I wanted to share this with you too. I just want to take the chance to share a few stories because I want you to see the miracles that God has been doing. About four months ago, um, I just had, was praying and I had this sense in my heart. I remember coming home and telling Lisa, I said, you know, babe, I just feel like the Lord is saying that we're about to see some of the biggest financial gifts that we've ever seen uh, as a church. And specifically, you know, quite honestly, we were doing really well. Like 2023 was a banner year. Uh, for Harvest financially. I mean, it was just an amazing year. But, but specifically, I felt like there were some gifts that were on their way that were going to help us to continue to do what we're doing with all in, with all of this work. And, and, and I didn't know how or where it would come from, but I, I knew this. I knew that the dream that we have was bigger than our bank account. Does anyone else have dreams bigger than your bank account? And I knew, I knew that. And so I knew that what our faith step was putting a demand on the Lord to, to show up in a miraculous way. And, and so we, I, we have some really cool stories that I just wanted you to know about it. When, when we got finished with the youth room, and, and that was a big project for us, when we got finished with that, one of our contractors that helped us uh, with, uh, with the work there uh, attends our church, and he came to me as we were wrapping it up, and he said, Pastor, I don't know if you've noticed, but we haven't sent you a bill for the work that we've done. I said, I did notice. I was wondering when you were going to send us a bill. And he said, well, we've decided that we're not going to send you a bill for our part of the work. We're going to donate that as part of our contribution to All In. You, you don't even know why you're cheering yet because it was in the, it was the donation, the work, if we would have written the check was $30,000 worth of work. How amazing. Now you can cheer. Now you can cheer. Then we had another contractor, did, they, they, I don't think they talked about this, that did the exact same thing, and, uh, and, and, and though that was another $31,000 that was donated. Now you can cheer. 
And then last Sunday, something pretty spectacular happened. As soon as church ended, I was still on the front row. Karen, our accountant, she beelined it over to me. And, and typically on a Sunday, she goes home after church, eats lunch, comes back, and, uh, and does the Sunday deposit. And then we have a little system where she does a little report, and she emails it to me. It's just kind of a weekly report, so I know what's going on. And so she comes to me, and she says, Pastor, I need to tell you something, because when you see the report today, you're going to think I made a mistake. You're going to think that I hit a wrong button or, or made a typo. And I said, okay, what is going on? She said, Pastor, this week we received a check for All In for $53,000. Now you can cheer again. Yes, last Sunday was a busy Sunday. We left church. We had lunch. Uh, I had to run to Costco to get stuff for our New Year's Eve party. Um, I, I got it all gathered, and I got back in the truck, and when I shut the door, it was the first time uh, for the whole, that whole afternoon that I was alone and, and still for a moment, and all of a sudden, it just kind of hit me, the goodness of the Lord, and I sat there in the parking lot of Costco, and I cried my eyes out, and I said, Lord, I, I had a sense that you were getting ready to do something. I didn't know how any of it would happen. I didn't have plans. I, I didn't know and you've done it, and, and I just have to tell you this, as, that I was, as I was rejoicing and talking to the Lord about it, I had another sense in my heart as the Lord, I felt like the Lord was saying, I'm just getting started. <laughs> there, there, there's more. Like, you just keep walking in faith and obeying me and taking the steps that, you, that I've asked you to take, and I will continue to provide. The reason I chose to share all of this and take so much time is because the, 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 the thing that's really in my heart is that I believe that those three gifts specifically have unlocked a new dimension of generosity uh, for harvest. I think that wherever we've been living in generosity in the last year or years, I believe that we're, we've entered a, a new place. Like we've, we've got, gone to a new level and, and, and that we're not going to go back like as a church. I, that's just what I feel. And, and I wanted to tell you that because I want you to be a part of it. I want you to, to be a participant in what God is doing. And so I, I want you to know this. I want you to know that when we started our remodel, that it was really important to us, we said this publicly, that we were not going to back down on what we call loving our city. That's what we call all the things that we do locally, you know, with the schools, with our outreaches, with all those things. We weren't going to back down from that, and we weren't going to back down from missions. We, we, we have a strong missions culture. We, we send a lot of resources globally around the world. And what I'm really happy about in 2023 is all the things that we did in our building, we, we didn't back down from any of that. In fact, we, we press the gas a little bit. We went a little bit harder in some of those areas. And so I wanted to just take them in. I wanted to kind of tell you how it works. So at Harvest, we unashamedly teach a principle that the Bible teaches called the tithe. And, and real simple, the tithe means that, that a whole bunch of us have made the decision that we're going to give God the first 10% of everything that he blesses us with. And some of you, if you're not familiar with that, or maybe you're, you're hearing that for the first time, you're like, are you kidding me? You give the first 10 percent and i'll just tell you this lisa and i are blessed because we grew up in in homes where our parents did this so like literally this is the only life we've ever known i, mean, I remember at like six and seven years old getting birthday cards uh, with money in it and at the end of the birthday party adding it all up and pulling the tithe out and i couldn't wait to take it to kids church like that's how long we've been doing it and a bunch of you have similar stories and you've decided to do that and so when, when you tithe i want you to know that when you tithe you're a part of everything that we do at Harvest. And here's what we do. Harvest takes the first 10% of everything we get, and we give it away to missions. Like, that's the very first thing. So we tithe. That's the first thing that we do. Which, by the way, I don't think we've had a year in ever since we started doing this that we only gave 10%. That's kind of our baseline, but we almost always give more. So we tithe the first 10%. Then we use the resources to pay the expenses of the church. We pay the salary 
calories and the light bill and all, all the things. Um, and the good news is, though, that we manage that wisely. So there's always more than just enough to do the expenses. So the third thing that we do is we love our city. We do things like trunk or treat and extravaganza. And we partner with local um, ministries like Teen Challenge. We collaborate with other churches and organizations. And one of the things I'm super excited about for 2024 is a citywide outreach that a whole bunch of us churches are partnering with called Seek and Save. And if you want to put it on your calendar now, I'm going to need your help. It's August 13th through the 17th. And because of your generosity, we're able to help fund uh, a big portion of that. And then after all of that, then we also send resources all over the world through global missions partners. And I'll just tell you quickly, we, we were a part of some really cool things last year. We helped build a brand new church. There was a, a church in Panama that through one of our missions partners reached out and they were meeting uh, open air just under a, under a tree out in the grass. And so through your generosity, we were able to send resources and our missionary there was able to get all of the materials. We built a brand new church for them. We, one of our partners is a, is a Bible translation uh, ministry. And this year we were part of helping put the Bible in a brand new language that has never, it's never been in that language before. And that was because of your generosity, because of Run for the Light and a bunch of you participated in that. We raised over $40,000. Then we had a matching donor that doubled that. So we raised over $80,000. And if you don't know about Feed One, what they do is for $10 a month, they feed a child uh, every single day of the week for just $10 a month. So if you do the math, that means that we fed over 650 children this last year every single day. How awesome is that? You didn't know when to cheer because there were so many good things, right? And after all of that, we also prioritize our, our harvest families with uh, benevolence and things like scholarships like we just did with men's conference and, and other things. And so I, I, hope that, I hope I'm painting a, a good picture that when you choose to participate with the tithe, you're a part of all of that. And that when all of us do our part, it's pretty amazing what we can accomplish together. And so maybe you're trying to figure out how you can be a part. I would say this, the first thing would be to, to, to join us in, in generosity on a regular basis. I, and I would really encourage you to take the faith step uh, of tithing. But some of you, you've been tithing for a long time. That's old hat. You, you're used to it. You've been doing it. And maybe this year you want to make a decision to give additionally to All In. So through all of our platforms at any time, you can give extra towards All In. And what that's going to do is that's going to help us to continue to keep up with the renovations. I, I have a dream that we will cash flow all of the renovations, that we won't have to borrow any money. Now, we've done a great job. We've been working on this for a long time. We had money set aside for this, and so far, everything we've done, we've been able to pay with cash, which is really exciting. But I'll tell you, we're building fast and buildings expensive. And so I'm watching the account go down. I'm not worried. I believe God's going to do miracles. And I wanted you to know about all of this because I just, I just think it's really exciting. So I hope you, thank you for hanging with me for the update. Is that good? Was that helpful? All right. So today we're starting a new series. Are you excited about that? New year, new series. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. We sang the song. Our, our, our theme, really, this whole year is this phrase, Jesus over everything. Jesus over everything. If you were with us last week, we read a passage in Mark's gospel where Jesus asked a guy named Bartimaeus this question. He asked, what do you want me to do for you? And we, we really pondered that question last week. And I, I know a bunch of you, because you've talked to me about it. You wrote that down. You spent some time. You thought about it. You've prayed about it this week. You've journaled about it. You've brought it to the Lord. Uh, a whole bunch of you this week um, uh, jumped in on our fast this week. We fasted the first seven days of the week. I asked someone this morning, I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm hungry. I said, I get it, bro. I get it, right? So this question what do you want me to do for you? We're actually going to see the same question, but in a different passage, also in Mark chapter 10. So let's read that. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35, says this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do whatever we ask. 
Here's Jesus, same question as he did to Bartimaeus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they say, we can. Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the 10, so if you remember, there's 12 disciples walking around with Jesus doing ministry. So the other 10 are listening in to this conversation. And when they heard this, they became indignant with James and John. So Jesus calls all of them together and says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave for all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, uh, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want us to take just a second. We do this every week. This is our tradition. And I want us to just say a quick prayer. This is your opportunity to open your heart to what God has for you and your family today. As we open God's word, I believe that God wants to talk to every single person that's in the room, every single person listening online, that he has a word for you today. So will you join me in this prayer? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's living and it's active. It's powerful. Today it holds truth that can set us free, that can change our lives. So we just pause. We get our hearts ready. We tune our ears in. We say, Lord, we're listening to you. Will you speak to us today? In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Growing up, my dad was both a pastor and a general contractor. So from a very young age, I grew up on job sites learning how to build uh, things. We mostly built houses and about one or two churches a year around the state. We would go and, and build. And so I learned, I learned construction growing up. And one of the things that I remember is that often on the job site, one of the first things they do is they bring in uh, some type of heavy uh, equipment, a tractor and they'll scrape the land and they have to create a pad to build the foundation on. And so what they would do is they did, when they did that dirt work, is they'd create a dirt pile off kind of to the side or in the corner of the lot. And then that would sit there during the whole project so they could use that at the end to bring it back over and do a final grade to kind of smooth things out. Now, for my brother and I, my brother's two years younger than me, for my brother and I, this dirt pile provided a wonderful opportunity. When we would get tired of the job that we were doing, that we were assigned to, or maybe, maybe it was time for lunch, often we would find, make our way over to the dirt pile to play a game. Have any of you ever played King of the Mountain? Anyone? King of the Mountain? And I'll just tell you, we would play King of the Mountain with whoever was on the job site. And at times it got really, really rowdy, as you can well imagine. And, and dad would have to come over and settle us down. It started as a game. It turned into a fight, you know. But the, the point of King of the Mountain is really, really simple. The point of King of the Mountain is to be the person on top of the hill, right, of the pile, of the, of the mountain. And if you're on the top, you have to defend your position. And everyone else is going to try to, they're clamoring up. Up the hill. They're trying to pull you off. They're trying to push you off. They're trying to tackle you and roll down, whatever it is. The point is simply to, to stay on top of the mountain. Now today, as we start this new series, Jesus Over Everything, our title is, is that game. Our title is King of the Mountain. Now, I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm excited about this series. I, 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 uh, Lisa and I were uh, uh, at a conference uh, this last year, and in the middle of it, in the middle of a worship time, I, I, I felt like the Lord was talking to me about this phrase, Jesus over everything. I got my journal out. I wrote it down that day at lunch. I said, Lisa, I think I have our 2024 theme. And I shared it with her. We talked about it. We prayed about it. And I began to share it with our team leading into the year.
year. I'm excited about this theme, Jesus over everything. I'm excited to announce week in and week out that Jesus really is over everything. I'm excited. I can't wait to talk about how Jesus is over painful situations in our lives. I can't wait to pray with you and declare that Jesus is over sickness. Does anyone believe that with me? I'm glad that in an election year that Jesus is over politics. Is anyone happy about that? I'm glad that Jesus is over Republicans and Democrats and anyone else. I'm glad that whatever happens this year in election stuff, that Jesus is going to reign over it all. I'm not 100% sure, but next week our six-minute sermon speakers have been assigned the same topic, Jesus over everything. I don't know exactly what they're going to say, but I'll, be, I'll just guess that some of them are going to point us towards the various places in our lives where Jesus can be victorious. I'm thankful that Jesus is over broken relationships. I'm thankful that Jesus can heal marriages. I'm thankful that last year as we talked about coming out of the cave, now what do we do? that Jesus is over mental health. For that matter, I'm thankful that he's over all of our health, our physical health, our mental health, our emotional health, our financial health, our spiritual health. He reigns over all of it. All of this is true. Do you believe it? But there's a foundational issue that we have to settle first, and it's, it's this, who's king of the mountain? <laughs> but what I'm saying is this, who is king of your life? See, what I've learned is in my own life, that ever since I surrendered my heart to Christ, that I'm tempted, I use the word surrender, that I'm tempted at times to take control back over of my life. Does that happen to any of you? And this is, if, if I could give you a picture, it's this game of king of the mountain. Is that when I was a, a, a seven-year-old little boy and I prayed that prayer and I cried out to Jesus and I surrendered my life, what I did is I put Jesus on top of my mountain, on top of my life. And, and when I was a kid, I did pretty good. And when I was a teenager, I did pretty good. But as a young adult, there were some times where I went up the mountain and I kicked Jesus off. <laughs> and, I, and I made the decision that I wanted to be king of the mountain for a little while. I wanted to make some decisions. I wanted to do that. And, and so we've got to settle this because I, I imagine that as I'm talking about that, that, that you can, can relate, that, that there's this constant jostling for who is going to be at the top of my life. This is the struggle that James and John had. They wanted Jesus to serve them. Do you remember in the story, they came to Jesus, and this is how the conversation started. We, Jesus, we want you to do what we ask. Isn't that crazy? The audacity of James and John, they come to Jesus, we want you to do what we want. And Jesus, he went along with their request. He says, okay, what do you want me to do for you? They wanted this version of Jesus where he basically is a genie in a bottle, right? Where, where I get in trouble and I just rub the bottle and ah, poof, out pops Jesus. And we just say, help us, Lord. Oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do. I need your help. I need you to provide. I need you to heal. I need you to, I need you to help us, Lord. You know, and it's just, it's just this version of Christianity that we see in James and John that, quite honestly, we still see it today that we just want Jesus to serve us. And this is their request. They say, let one of us sit on your right and one of your left. And here's kind of a key phrase in this, in your glory. <laughs> what they're asking for is a place of prominence, right? They, they wanted to share in God's glory. They wanted to be king of the mountain. They wanted to be important, and to be fair, this isn't the first time that we see this. If you, if you flip back one chapter in Mark chapter 9, verse 33 and 34, the disciples are, are, are walking along and they're having a discussion and Jesus is there. It says they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Look at this. But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest it was this, I, I really don't think these are the only two times it happened. I think there was this constant jostling for who is going to be king of my life. Who is going to call the shots? Who's going to be on top? Who is going to be the most important? 
And now Jesus cuts to the core of their request when he says this. He says, you don't know what you're asking. You don't have any idea what you're asking. Don't we have a bad habit of this? We see what someone else has, and we think, boy, wouldn't it be nice if I had that same thing? But we fail to see all the hard work that they've put in to get where they are. I mean, isn't it easy to see someone else's highlight reel and wish that you had their life? What I've learned is that we don't know the backstory. We don't know the pain. I, I thought of this yesterday as I was reading back over my notes, and I, I thought about my amazing wife, and we've been married now 23 years, and we have an amazing marriage, and I'm so thankful for it. And you might look at our marriage, and you might think, boy, I wish I had what Jason and Lisa had, but can I just tell you that I don't think any of you would want to go through the pain that we went through to get where we are now. We look at someone who has financial resources. We, we think, God, I wish I could have that. We don't even know what we're asking because you don't know how many years they toiled and how many early mornings and all the hard work to get there. And this, this is the mistake. that James and John, they, they have no idea what they're asking of Jesus. So he plays a little game of king of the mountain and he asks them a question. He says, can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? I, I had to pause at this and I had to think, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Can you drink of the cup that I drink of? Um, I don't know if this happens in your house. Do any of you have a favorite cup in your house, a favorite cup, a favorite cup. So, so uh, uh, I, when I when I was uh, when when my in-laws when they lived in Louisiana, we would go to to visit, right? We'd be there for a week, and uh, my mother-in-law, her her gifting is taking, uh, 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 collecting all the dishes from around the house and washing them faster than, I mean, you just gotta, you gotta be on it. You gotta, she, she, she's gonna like swipe it and get it away. And so I learned that I had for that week, I had to take my cup and I had to hide it or she was gonna grab it, right? And so uh, she's a little uh, height challenged. And so I would take my cup and I'd put it on top of the refrigerator because I knew she couldn't reach it. That's how I protected my cup. Some of you have, maybe you have some favorite cups. I brought some favorite cups today. Uh, Tom and Kendra gave me this mug. I keep it here at the church uh, to drink coffee out of, and you probably can't read it, but it says, be careful or you will end up in my sermon. <laughs> so sometimes someone's coming in for counseling. I just pour a cup. I just set it on the table. I make sure they know. No, no, all bets are off. This, this is a favorite cup of mine. I'll tell you, here's another favorite cup. Uh, this, is, this is a Yeti. Anyone like Yetis? This is a Yeti. And this has what they call the chug cap, okay? This is a chug cap. It's the only way that I'll drink from a Yeti is with a chug cap. And I love, I love Yeti. I have one right there. I have one here. I, I uh, carry it almost every day. I put ice in it in the morning. I fill it up with my water. And all day long, I, I, just, I can refill it. And at the end of the day, I still have ice in it. I don't know how Yeti did it. I'm a believer. And they're just, they're amazing, okay? So that's, that's a favorite cup of mine. All right. How many of you bought someone a Stanley for Christmas? Anyone? Okay. So this was a number one gift uh, 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 for 2023 Christmas. If you don't know uh, about Stanley, let me, let me read you two headlines that were in the news this week. Okay. Headline number one, Stanley cups sold out at Target are selling for more than double the price on the resale market. That was in the news this week. Here's the second one. How a 40-ounce cup turned Stanley into a $750 million a year business. So I help uh, with our girls' basketball team at the school that they go to. And, and uh, not long ago, uh, I volunteered to drive all of the girls in our van, the church van, uh, up to Santa Fe for a tournament. And I see all these girls getting in, and like all, probably three-quarters of the team has Stanleys, okay? And so I, I thought I'd have some fun with it, and I said, girls, y'all realize Stanley's an old man brand, right? 
like, whatever, whatever. I'm saying, no, 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 listen. When I was a kid, my grandpa had a Stanley. Like, no, he didn't. I'm like, y'all need to do some research. You have no idea about it. It's an old man brand. When I was a kid, we would take coffee to the duck blind in a metal Stanley. Anyone else remember metal Stanleys? And all of a sudden, it's all the rage, and everyone wants one. And so I bought a Stanley this week just to talk about it, and I'm going to see if it's worth it, okay? I'm going to predict my Yeti's better, okay? But I'll let you know. I will report back to you. But... I have to tell you about my dad's favorite cup, a Circle K styrofoam cup. Y'all, my dad will keep a Circle K styrofoam cup for weeks. He will wash it. I have seen him walk into a store, a gas station that has plastic cups, fill his drink up, walk back to his car, get his old Circle K styrofoam cup out and empty the contents into his styrofoam cup and throw that plastic cup away. My parents don't fight very often, but I was in their home one day. My dad looked around and he said, Becky, did you do something with my styrofoam cup? And I thought that World War III was about to happen, okay? says favorite cup is a... Circle K styrofoam cup. And, and I just got to thinking, what in the world did Jesus mean when he said, can you drink the cup that I am drinking of? And, and I'll just tell you, Jesus wasn't talking about Yeti or Stanley or even Circle K styrofoam cups, even though I guess they're really good. Jesus was pointing to the cup of suffering that he was about to endure, his disciples knew, because he'd been talking about it, that he was going to establish a new kingdom. And in their minds, James and John especially, they're thinking, Jesus is going to march in with a big army. He's going to overthrow the government. He's going to take over. He's going to be the new king. He's going to establish a new kingdom. And we want to be a part of this triumphant reign of the new king. And Jesus was establishing a new kingdom but not like anything the world had ever seen before and not in a way that the world had ever seen before. Instead of marching over and taking the kingdom by force, Jesus was going to do something radically different. Jesus was getting ready to lay down his own life to establish a new kingdom that would last forever, but he was going to do that by drinking of the cup of suffering. You probably know the story, but Jesus suffered Immensely, He was wrongly accused. He was wrongly tried. He was whipped and beaten. He was forced to carry his own cross. When he got to the place where the crucifixion was going to happen, they, they literally put nails through his hands and his feet, and then he hung there. And if you don't know how crucifixion works, they, they, they don't actually die from the blood loss or from the nails in his hands and his feet, but it would put the body in a position where they would hang in such a way that they would suffocate. They couldn't breathe. And the only way to get a breath would be to push up on the hands and the feet and the nails and have that severe pain just to be able to get up to open the oxygen, open the lungs, and to get another breath. And so it was a long, grueling, torturous way to die. And as Jesus is hanging there, gasping for air, suffocating, the soldiers are ridiculing him and mocking him. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 34, uh, we actually see Jesus before he goes to the cross. He's praying with his disciples in a garden. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And we get a little snapshot of this cup of suffering. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So again, he hasn't been whipped. He hasn't been put on the cross. He's simply saying, I am so sorrowful. My heart is so broken. This, this cup of suffering is so big. He says, I'm overwhelmed to the point of death. And he looks to his disciples and he says, stay here and watch. He goes a little further into the garden. It says he falls to the ground and he prays that if this if it is possible that this hour might pass from him. And this is his prayer. In verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, he's praying to God. The Father, he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup 
from me. I don't want to drink the cup of suffering. I don't want to go down this path, but I'm so, I'm so thankful that his prayer didn't end there because then he said this. He says, yet yeah, not my will, but what you will. And he went through with it. He went through. He, he went ahead and he drank from the cup of suffering. This is why Jesus says to James and John, you have no idea what you're asking for. But they respond, they say, Yes, Lord, we can drink the same cup. And so Jesus says back to him, he says, you will drink the cup and you will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right and my left is not for me to grant. Those places are for those whom they've been prepared. And you need to know today that when Jesus is saying this to James and John, that he isn't just talking to them. He's actually looking into the future and he's telling every single person who's going to make a decision to follow him. He's, he's letting you and I know that it's not always going to be easy to follow Jesus. Now, I have a personal belief that following Jesus is the most fun thing that you can ever do. I tell people all the time, if you're bored following Jesus, it's not Jesus' fault, it's your fault, you're boring. Because Jesus isn't boring. It's called a faith walk for a reason. He's going to push you. He's going to prod you. He's going to take you to places you can never imagine. So I think it's the most fun. It's the biggest adventure. It's wonderful. But don't get confused that, that it's going to be easy. Jesus is telling the disciples, this cup of suffering isn't just for me. It's also for those who are choosing to follow me. Because here's the deal, if you're a true follower of Jesus, your life will go against the grain of culture. I remember as a teenager, there was an evangelist that came to the church to preach for three or four nights, and, and he had some merchandise that he sold, and one of the things was, well, was a shirt, and, I, and he gave me one, he gave me one, and it was, y'all, I was such a nerd in high school, you just have to know, I was a nerd, and Lisa was prom queen, uh, cheerleader, I'm so thankful we didn't meet until later in life, because we would not, we would, it wanted to work, okay, so, so he gave me the shirt, it was neon blue, okay, and then in neon green, there was these fish that were swimming across one direction, and there was one other little fish swimming the other direction, and it said, it was a little Christian fish, you know, the little, and it said, it said, go against the flow. And I remember, I remember as a teenager, putting that shirt on to go to high school sometimes, it, it didn't matter because I wasn't popular at high school, so I could have worn whatever I want, but I remember putting it on and knowing I am going against the grain, I'm not like all of the other kids. I'm not going to do all the things they do or say the things they say or be the way. I, I remember thinking that even as a teenager, and I, ha I have to tell you, I'm a little bit worried about the current brand of Christianity that, that wants to look exactly like the rest of the world. It's hard sometimes to see a difference. It's hard to look at a Christ follower and not a Christ follower and examine the choices of their lives and how they live. And it's difficult to tell the difference. And I'm worried about that because Jesus is really clear, not just here, but all throughout the Bible, that we should look different. There's this verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He calls us out. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. You, you got to look different if you're not living in the dark. You got to look different if you have accepted that you're a chosen people, a holy nation called out of darkness to live in the light. The other 10 disciples, they're listening in on this conversation, and it says that the 10 heard about this, and they became indignant with James and John. This, this story, I believe, illustrates uh, uh, these kind of two you know, parallel things that are happening where James and John thought way too much of themselves, right? They came to Jesus and said, we want you to do what we want, 
right? We want to be king of the mountain. And the other 10 are over here, and they're listening in, and they're snickering, and they're talking, and they're laughing at James and John, and then they get kind of upset. Like, how dare them? I can't believe that they would do that. And all of a sudden, it it just builds, and now they're indignant. Or I might might use it this way. I might say, they were judgmental. (laughs) They were judgmental. And can I just say this? All 12 disciples were wrong. James and John get the bad rap in this story most often because they were the most brash, the most bold. But can I just say, all 12 disciples missed the mark. Jesus preaches about judging in a, another famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. He makes it really clear. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. From the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And he asks the question, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust that's in your brother's eye and pay a no, a no, no attention to the plank in your own eye. So he's calling out. He's like, your brother has this little speck and you've got a two by four sticking out of your head. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brothers. So all 12 disciples miss it. So Jesus takes the opportunity to teach them a lesson and to teach us a lesson he calls them together. He says, you know that those who are regarded of rulers, of Gentiles, lorded over them, their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, you know how the world lives. You know how the world operates. You know how, how rulers in the world, how they lead. You, you see that. But he says, not so with you, Christ follower. Not so with you, disciple. Instead, if you want to become great, you've got to be a servant. If you want to be first, then you've got to be last. And then he says, he says, and just in case you think I'm calling you to a standard that I'm not living, living up to myself, he says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to the ultimate, to give my life as a ransom for many. So the question today, as we talk about Jesus over everything, I know this was not the fun message. The fun ones will be when we declare all the things that Jesus is over our lives. But we can't even get there until we settle this first. We got to settle this. Who's the king of the mountain in your life? Who's the, who's the king of your life? By, by the way, a, a few weeks ago, I told a story about Queen Elizabeth, and uh, as soon as I finished service, um, about 10 of you came to me to make sure that I knew that Queen Elizabeth was dead, and I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because she's not my queen, so it didn't matter. I, just, I was watching The Crown, and she seemed alive in The Crown, so thank you for correcting me. I I appreciate that about you, that you'll, <laughs> you'll lovingly correct me. But, uh, oh but she's, not, she's not my queen. Right? She's not, who, who's, who's in charge of your life? And, and I don't know, just, just in case you're wondering, King Charles isn't my king either. He's alive, right? Okay, just, I Googled it, but you can't trust everything. You Stand with me, stand with me. He, he's not my king either. And, and here, here, here's the deal. A king, it's kind of illustrate, I, I'm glad you're laughing with me. A, a king, a queen can be on the throne, but we have to make a decision that they're, they're going to be my king. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be their subject. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my cues from them. That, 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 that's really the, the question today. Who is going to be the king? And, and here's the other thing about kings is that that there can only be one. This is kind of hard for us because our political system is just different. It's, it's not, we don't have kings. We have presidents and governors and mayors and, you know, every few years things change. And so it's just different. It's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's hard for us to, to, to put ourselves in this, this, this idea of who's going to be the king of my life because, because if there can only be one what that means is that Jesus can't be king and you be king. 
That's what that, that's what that means. Like, either you're on the top or he's on the top. Like, there's only one king. And I don't know if you relate to my story, but I've taken Jesus off the top of my mountain too many times. Tried to take control too many times where I thought I knew what was best. And again and again, I'm so thankful that I can come back to Jesus and I can surrender. And I can say, man, I really messed that up, Lord. I need you to be king of my life again. And in his infinite grace and mercy, he assumes his position on the throne of my life and he reestablishes order. It's one of the things kings do, right? A good king will establish order in his kingdom. In fact, I just feel like that's a prophetic word for some of you today that just, just jumped in my heart because some of you, your life is out of order. It's chaotic and you've wondered why. And I'll just tell you, you need a king on the throne who can establish order, who can put things into place that you can't do on your own. Here's, here's another thing about kings is that kings have authority. Some of you have been fighting battles in your life and you're losing and you want to know why? It's because you don't have authority in the spiritual realms of the things that the enemy is bringing against you unless Jesus is on the throne of your life. You're gonna, I'm just telling you, you're going to lose. So before we get to all the rest of this year and all the things, it's going to be a fun year. I'm really excited. But we have to we have to grapple with this. We have to wrestle with who is king of my life. So I'm going to ask our worship team to lead us in a final song. We're going to spend just a few minutes in worship. And this is an important part for us. Like we don't just sing a song at the end because it feels good. This is strategic. This is time for us to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to come into our lives and to take what we've heard from God's word and to, to breathe life into it to cause it to come alive. Here's where you, with the Holy Spirit, can cause his word to activate for you and your life and your family. So don't miss this next few minutes. This is an important time. Then I'm gonna come back up and we're gonna pray a closing prayer. And collectively, I'm gonna ask you, will you put Jesus at the top of your life? Will you make him your king? And then we're gonna pray. It's gonna be a good day. People today are gonna make decisions to put Jesus at the top of their life. In two weeks, we're going to baptize some more people. And today, some of you are going to make a decision, and you might be one of those that says, I'm ready to go public with my decision. It starts right here with us putting Jesus as a king of our life. Worship team, come and help us. Let's put Jesus on top. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Fellowship Podcast. For more information, visit harvestabq.org.